Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. It's the little dog with the most proof. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 106. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Comes to you now via quantum bio implant. News from our fleet before we dive into this episode. Pete, yesterday we were discussing Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 4. Uh, an exciting and uh, engaging episode, certainly. Yeah, that we're, you know, so far into the season at this point. It's gone by in the blink of the eye. Uh, Anti-penultimate episode in the can, Matt. And uh, two more to go. Really looking forward to seeing how they resolve this. And uh, the day before that, we were discussing Ms. Marvel Episode 1. Uh, all of this, of course, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, as uh, so many of our listeners know. Uh, and connected to that Ms. Marvel experience was our Patreon-exclusive uh, episode as we reflected on the events of the uh, the Paley panel held for Ms. Marvel, uh, which was done on Thursday. So we got Thursday Adventure, Friday Adventure, Saturday Adventure, and today's Adventure. Uh, I could do this all day. <laughs> all part of our June Boone coverage here. Uh, that Patreon exclusive, Matt, you get to hear us talk about series star Amon Vellani, uh, as well as another member of the cast and the creatives there. So just a dollar a month to get you in that Patreon door. You want to check it out. Pete, have to mention before we head into things here, perhaps the most important news, the best saved for last. What is it going on there in Toronto? Star Trek Season 5 is officially now in production. Uh, series co-showrunner Michelle Paradise uh, tweeting out a photo of the captain's chair. And also Doug Jones, the photo of his head shaved, which he made clear uh, he does of his own volition to cut down on bald cap time. Uh, so, uh, his, his sacrifice there for our benefit as they ramp up to, uh, get season five to us. They said it couldn't be done, Pete, but there it is. Discovery starting the fifth season. So I don't know at some other point we can do the math and prognosticate what maybe eight to 10 months from now, we might see the first episodes. So that still is a long ways away. But Pete, you know what's right around the corner is our mission briefing for this episode. As the Enterprise arrives in the Magellan system, a minor star cluster on the edge of Federation space, Captain Pike narrates a log on Stardate 1943.7 after last stopping there 10 years ago on a rescue mission into a pulsar. Their mission this time is just a routine cartographic survey. No chance anything else of galactic or character import will happen. Just going to run that Google Maps beacon out there. No worries here. In a turbo lift, uh, Pike is riding solo. It pauses. Uh, Uhura gets on board. She's a little sore from her combat training because this week, she is training with La'an, doing the security rotation. 
Uh, La'an, of course, has a lot to teach. Watch out for Lesson 7, though. It's a secret. How um, about um, Anson Mount's uh, imitation, though, of La'an there? Um, Pete, it's... <laughs> I don't know that it's maybe the best captain-y thing to do, but he is also one of the best captains, so therefore maybe it is one of the best captain-y things to do. If nothing else, telling Uhura, you know, there's the security perspective, and you can you can live that, or if that's not your thing, then maybe a little a little uh, giggle here at La'an's expense, and uh, a reminder, Pete, that it takes all types. At the bridge, they arrive... Uh where La'an is waiting like that Rigelian tiger, ready to pounce without warning. And Ortegas helps uh, uh, lesson number two to come into view for Ahura here. There are no breaks in security because threats never take breaks. Number one receives a distress call, speaking of threats, from a non-Federation shuttle under attack, Spock scans that is a small combat cruiser um, and Pike orders shields and Ortegas to take them in closer. The shuttle is struck and then tow cables emerge from the cruiser to reel it in. Ensign Shakar hails with no response and Pike uh, opens a channel to explain that the cruiser has committed an act of aggression as the other vessel has appealed to them for help, and he is obliged by Federation law and his own conscience to intervene. Huh. Funny that they're front-loading all of that. Uh, indeed. Uh, and this dialogue results in the uh, cruiser firing upon the Enterprise. Maybe the littlest pew-pew in the history of Star Trek, uh, as it is reported that shields are down. What is it? 0.2%, 0.02%, it's so Make little. Make our weapons go. Yeah, um, the the analogy here that, uh, particularly as the cruisers starting an attack run, they are the little dog attacking the big dog here. Uh, Uhura, who is sitting in the uh, position to fire phasers, is told to fire very carefully. Uh, but since they're on the move, the other ship gets both a shave and a haircut. Uh, ouchie. Uh, but the shuttle folks uh, report they need to beam out ASAP, uh, failing life support, etc. So Pike and number one head to the transporter room. Beaming in is what appears to be a family of three, although Alora recognizes Lieutenant Pike. Pete, there's, there, there's electricity in the air and not from VFX, from these two smoldering as they look at each other. He kind of just smiles at her in part because it's time for the credits. Uh, this is an episode written by Robin Wasserman and Bill Walkoff and directed by Andy Arm Agarian. We go right back to that transporter room where now it's time for a backstory. Pike rescued Laura many years ago, you know, the 10 years ago. It was on another shuttle, shuttle accident. It's either bad luck or good luck, uh, but welcome regardless. She likes the yellow uniform. Actually, it's gold, he says, kind of chuckling because he's the captain. Alora is bewitching, and Pike can feel it, Pete. Um, introduces number one here, who will take him, take her to the ready room for briefing. But the man who was tending to the wound on the back of the head of the boy beamed in, insists they take him to the medical facility. 
Um, and the boy is, or the boy, uh, the man is asked if he's the boy's father, uh, strictly in a biological sense. In Sick Bay, Benga is uh, reading to his daughter. Uh, he's read the same chapter twice. He recaps that he's been keeping her on the transporter buffer and the things are kept on a timer. Uh, so that also explains why he has read the same chapter twice, because for him it's been a, a greater passage of time. But speaking of that timer, when will it? Uh, and she's beamed back in. Uh, the timing quite good because uh, chapel then dings on his office door we've got people coming in in the ready room Alora explains that the first servant is a very special child a holy figure chosen at birth by lottery to embody their maxim science service sacrifice he's forsworn his own family because everyone on majalis is family and pike asks what they were doing on the moon they were found near uh she explains it was in it is an ancient retreat for the first servant's studies elder gamal and she were returning the first servant to majalis when they were attacked and the demand was made that they surrender the child um laon asks if there's any idea who they were and Alora tells us that the closest inhabitant planet is occupied by descendants of a long-abandoned alien colony. Uh, they've coexisted peacefully for centuries. She believes there may have been a ransom involved because in two days she will oversee the first servant's ascension uh, to the throne in a sacred ceremony. Um, if... They were outsiders. Uh, they they may have known that Majalis would pay anything for the first servant's return. Uh, Laon wants to take a landing party to investigate the crashed ship. Uh, Spock says there's a slight chance the attackers survived. Um, but Alora says, no, 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 no investigation necessary. Um, they just want to be returned to Majalis. Number one says that it's required in this instance. We also get some dialogue there that uh, though this world has rejected joining the Federation, in part because they really like to handle things internally, that emphasis there, there's the, the Majalis folks and everybody else. Uh, Pike says that regulations call for an investigation with or without cooperation. Alora is going to join that investigation and says so with a sparkle. Uh, in sick bay, they find with the first servant that there's a slight reduction of cerebral blood flow. That's because he got a bang on the noggin, uh, and he is a little hungry. Uh, Chapel's ready to use one of the many, many Star Trek wavy light things, but Elder Gamal is not going to allow her to scan him. Uh, he does it. Thank you very much. Uh, in fact, he scans to make sure that the quantum bio implants are still working. Hey. Enterprise scanners hadn't picked that up. Uh, turns out that uh, Gamal is used to real medicine, not this totally simple stuff here on, you know, the cutting edge flagship of the Federation. Uh, Gamal says that he had been a doctor until he became the father of the first servant. Now he only sees this one patient. 
Mbenga notes that these implants could stop medical problems before they uh, begin. Hey, this could tie into Mbenga's secret problem, we know. Uh, and indeed, it is reiterated by Gamal that on Majalis, they have no illness of any kind. The saying here, let the tree that grows from the roots of sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach. Um, at the site of the crashed cruiser, uh, there's a great 90 degree shot here as the camera twists and on and uhura enter no life signs a sweep conducted for any surprises there's a panel and then uhura flunks lesson three she should have let her tricorder do the investigating because some klingon ships are equipped to scuttle their systems with even the slightest touch triggering an auto destruct uh, she scans. There's no danger, but the data banks have been wiped. Um, Spock is told it's secure and escorts Alora. Um, the technology is consistent with this colony they've discussed, and uh, Spock finds a device that does not appear to be a part of the ship's function. Uh, Alora does not recognize, or she's asked if she does recognize it, and there's a really long look, and then she finds a coin she does recognize. Yes, that headpiece, suspiciously, kind of not quite adult-sized. Uh, but as for the coin, it is an oath coin. Uh, the high muckety-muck guards are given one to protect the first servant, this is now suggesting that this was perhaps an inside job. If so, there is great danger, uh, and the danger brings with it a risk of a safe transition of power. Pike is ready to send security down to the planet, uh, but such is not welcome. Uh, can, however, she bring a friend, though? Uh, Pike means Pike, by the way. And on Magellus, we see this, this hopping place, a city in the sky, floating buildings, Really, really lovely. Pike and Allura are walking all while an assistant spells out quite a busy schedule. With that, the guards are called in. Time to shake a tree and what falls out. Uh, rather, see what falls out. And Pike preps his phaser. Uh, we can see it, although others cannot. A shuttle goes down to floating platforms. Then the shuttle is seen from the reverse through the stained glass skylight uh, a very familiar spiral staircase here as an aide explains to Alora that after a speech at the opening ceremony there's a tree planting at the sky garden then the festival of gratitude all evening it's all quite a schedule this is why she was unable to stay away but bring in the guards she and pike will see what falls out when they shake the tree and pike uh gets his phaser already in sickbay spock is seeking to have a chat with elder gamal spock shows gamal the headpiece and uh, spock notes it is a neural dampener gamal's never seen something like this uh indeed gamal is not going to show this to the first servant uh the latter of which uh when they return to the main sickbay areas talking lots of science to Spock. Uh, Pete, I thought it was just science to demonstrate how smart he was. 
turns out they were also seeding a story solution for, you know, towards the end of the episode here. Uh, maybe not quite towards you the end. You mean the means by which the boy will be caught and turned into a human battery? Um, just about. What, uh, what the kids call a self-own? Um, uh, the first servant knows a whole lot about subspace communications, radial polarization issues. Pete, it's standard stuff, okay? I don't need to explain the science to our listeners. We all know about radial polarization issues and so forth. He but even he could just turn... wanted a friend across the galaxy. I wonder why he doesn't have friends. He could even turn the bio bed into a calm relay, though Spock dryly, with smiling eyes, though, Spock dryly notes that Dr. Mbenga might object. Uh, we go back to Alora, who uh, tells the guards uh, to renew your vows and present your coins. The guards kneel, each one showing the coin. She stops at Kier, whose coin case is damaged. He says it's no biggie. Well, but what happened? It really is no biggie. Uh, can she take a closer look? Uh, he runs and uh, blasts another guard to smithereens. Gee whiz, Pete, I'm glad that he doesn't blast any other people to smithereens, nor do the other people blast him, because uh, the guns are also uh, hitty hit sticks, uh, and that's how they're going to be used as we start a really great run and gun scene at maybe Canada's Xavier's School for the Gifted or the uh, home of Billy Madison. Um, Pike kind of shields Alora as the chase heads outside to that very familiar uh, set, uh, set uh, location, should say, in Toronto. Uh, the overhead shot of the running over the, the grass and then the portions there that they green screened out to make it look like the lava and the tethers that the floating platforms have to below. Alora tells Pike not to go that way. Um, in the garden, they fan out. There's a fight. And then uh, in front of the familiar fountains where Billy Madison once asked us if we had any more gum, uh, Pike tackles Kier. Alora comes between them, just want to talk, hands up, um, and wants to know why he was on the ship to fulfill his oath and renounce everything this flawed hell stands for. Uh, he then takes her at knife point and says, long live the first servant. But she elbows him and turns it around on him, stabbing him approximately where a human heart would be as he falls. We go to the dining hall where Uhura is eating awful quickly. Sam Kirk stops by. Oh, right. You're eating so quickly because you're with La'an. Uh, tell her you really deserve a full hour. Uh, I took that, Pete, as a full hour of downtime. But uh, La'an is there to essentially shoo Sam Kirk away, who... Uh, is uh, ready to do a, uh, a retreat here. Uh, La'an, meanwhile, has a box of gizmos, which she knows that she has taken uh, outside of the rules, know when to bend the rules. Uh, in fact, there's all sorts of uh, linguistic information there. Oh, wait, Uhura, the linguistic expert, can translate these all by herself, you know, off the books, on her own downtime. Can't enter them in the ship because they'd become 
uh, knowledge to Starfleet here. So it all works out. Back to sickbay where Mbenga sees no signs that the first servant ever had any head trauma. Uh, they've managed to reconstitute molec the molecular structure of damaged tissue, a revolutionary procedure. And then he has a hypothetical question, you know, doctor to doctor. Say I had a patient and this patient had mass cell psychokemia. You know, an 11-year-old female, totally non-specific patient, okay, could these quantum bio implants reverse the cellular degranulization even in its late stages? Well, on Majalis it could, and if there ever was such a patient, could he send uh, her his way? Afraid not. It's illegal to share these technologies with unaffiliated races. And uh, there is reference made that perhaps one day there will be an alliance between the Federation and Majalis. Uh, yes, sometimes there are even now exceptions to the sharing of stuff, but no, no, not for Majalis. Uh, so for now, the old story football kicked farther downfield. Uh, we go back to the planet where Alora is okay, at least physically. She knew Kier for years. What if there are others who feel this way? Uh, Pike, of course, is a little nervous about her retiring to her quarters alone. Perhaps he could post a guard outside her quarters. No, no, Alora says. What if Pike came into her boudoir instead? She kisses him and he kisses her back and uh, yowza there. Later, it's later, if you know what I mean. Uh, and well, Pike, they're giggling, so. Um, in the, they're giggling and also relaxing. Rejuvenating, I don't know. Uh, Pike confesses in bed that he may have been hitting on her when they first met, lo, those 10 years ago. So crazy to have met again. Uh, they've been in each other's thoughts, though. They they joke about the past. Did they perhaps recognize something in each other, something that could have been followed up, something that's just beautifully followed up now? You know, it's rare to get a second chance. It's rare to know about the future. However, Pike has had a view of his future. He shares that in 10 years there will be an accident. It does not end well for him. Pete, perhaps Pike has heard your uh, chastisement from earlier episodes in which his end has been described as a death. And he says here that even the best Federation medicine will leave him greatly incapacitated, although he does not say dead because <laughs> he's heard you, Pete, through the mists of time and story. How do you know, Chris? Oh, I know. Um, and their doctors on Majalis are capable of things he can't imagine. Only he'd have to be one of them and live their way. He'd be welcome. Uh, it's just another part of the future to consider. Back on the ship uh, we go. La'an is visiting Uhura. Uh, by the way, I know we've seen Uhura's quarters, I believe, once before. That kind of has yes. more of the, the sleeping. Other angle. Yeah, the sleeping pods uh, type arrangement for presumably or lower crew members. Uh, 
I like here that it was like, oh, it's the standard crew set just with a different wall. Like, that makes sense on a bunch of levels. Uh, regardless, though, uh, Uhura has uh, information both about the origin and the roots of the language. Pete, they could have done a whole grammar episode. Instead, it's just confined to this scene. Uh, what Uhura has done... Well, first of all, La'an says, so you did the basic minimum. And Uhura, very gamely, says, no, actually, I did all this other stuff exceeding La'an's request. Uh, and is La'an impressed? Impressed enough to take it to Pike. Nay, for Uhura to take it to Pike, because it's her hard work and she deserves to present it and to get the credit. So La'an maybe being a little bit of a, of a toughie tough here, but not unfair in the least. That is, of course, only if Uhura is sure. Benga carries a tray into sickbay, and whereas before it was the first servant who has nodded off, now it is Gamal, asleep in the chair. And Mbenga hears giggling uh, in his office with the privacy glass up, which is now code for Rukia is out of the transporter buffer. Uh, the first servant has rigged a light hopscotch uh, thingy for her. Uh, Dad, look what he made. Um, it's uh, something that shouldn't uh, he, he shouldn't be mad about. It's just some uh, noble gases, you know, from the atmospheric processor, non-reactive. He figured it was safe, but she should not be up. And Mbenga lifts her to the chair. She was having fun, though. How did the first servant know about her? He heard uh, Mbenga and uh, Gamal, his father, talking loud and couldn't find anyone with psychokemia in sickbay, so he checked the places he'd try to hide in. Aw, oh, Dad, do I have to go back in? Yes, you do, but maybe not much longer. Um... She says goodbye to the first servant who did not mean to get her in trouble. Uh, and Mbenga tells the first servant that he cannot tell anyone about Rukia. Uh, why not? But hey, here's Elder Dad who heard some noises. What is going on here? The first servant was just looking for a midnight snack. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Seems like he was more sh more like he was showing off. We're going. Pike, meanwhile, has been called to the bridge. Uh, and why not just uh, radio it down when I'm in, out, let's say, out of uniform? Uh, it's because the bridge crew wanted to present this in private outside of the ears of Alora. Uhura gives her presentation. The kidnappers were from Prospect 7, uh, a colony a few light years away. Uh, they are desperate people doing desperate things. Prospect 7, barely habitable, scratching out an existence and so forth. Why would they be there? Who are they? Well, their language is linked to that of Majalis. Indeed, those on Prospect 7 uh, are from Majalis, a Majalis colony. Uh, who would be sent there? Why are Gamal and Alora lying about this? Pike thinks that there has to be a reasonable explanation because Alora is so swell. Uh, oh, and they're told that Gamal and the first servant are ready to leave, like leave like right now. Uh, they are on the transporter pad as Pike and company get there. 
uh, they suddenly beam out poor Kyle, or mean Kyle, as he's known uh, amongst uh, amongst the uh, ensigns. It says it wasn't him. Someone else beamed them out. There's now a ship not far from the Enterprise that has them, except it's now Gamal who gets beamed back. He looks surprised the first servant isn't there. Uh, so through acting, we understand that there's confusion here. Uh, indeed, the first servant on the combat cruiser, which is not replying to Hale's uh, a tractor beam is employed. The cruiser is still pulling away. It's yanking now at the Enterprise. Uh, it's trying to rabbit, as the cool people would say. Um, with them trying to go to warp, there's stress putting the Enterprise at risk, the ship, the cruiser at risk, all at risk. Uh, so Mitchell is told to disengage. She does button push. However, the cruiser explodes. Yes, and uh, there's lots of heavy looks throughout the bridge uh, after an act break pike tells alora uh how it happened despite saying that the first servant was safe aboard the enterprise the federation will assist with anything they can but nothing will guide them through this means their world is over uh he understands, Pike does, the tragedy and the symbolic significance, but no, 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 he doesn't understand. If the first servant does not ascend, Majalis will fall out of the sky. The surface of their planet, we're told, is nothing but rivers of lava and lakes of acid, and they will be destroyed. How can any of that rest on the fate of one child pike asks and she terminates the transmission uh pike wants to know if someone can tell him how the cruiser could beam someone off his ship and ahura thinks she can and gamal gives her a look in the ready room uhura is uh, summarizing not flights of fancy here but rather summarizing facts and drawing a conclusion uh however she's going to repeat it again like for us at home to beam out you need a full signal you'd need uh these pattern signals and gamal got such uh pattern signals right before they left not just because the first servant had gotten a full scan for medical purposes gamal had fully scanned himself as well so what is it that Gamal is not telling them? It's time to fess up, and he does. Or he would, but Spock then uh, interrupts, please come to deck 17. Uh, with that, the uh, elder, Elder Gamal, is going to go to the brig for a little time out. Uh, Pike does a walk and talk with Spock, noting that the, child's, uh, own, uh, the, the child has placed a channel, uh, a private channel on a subspace frequency, uh, and Spock is tracking an emergency signal. As they walk, Pete, I guess deck 17 is the place where you just kind of leave stuff out. Um, or maybe it's like, you know, companies coming over. So quick, throw stuff in the closet. Deck 17 is the closet. There's a pod here. There's a container there. Beep, 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 beep. Look, let's open this pod. It's where the boy is. And they found him. Good I'll news. check off and uh, Captain Terrell were going to be in there. <laughs> uh, give it time, Pete. Give it time. Uh, he needs to get to the Ascension. Majalis needs him. Uh, Pike hails the bridge and says to tell Alora that there's good news. On the surface, the first servant waves at a celebration. 
and the lore explains that he dedicates himself to Majalis, and all of Majalis dedicates itself to him. Pike notes this is beautiful, and she notes that it would not happen without him, that he saved them. Uh, but she still has not explained how the fate of the planet rests on the head of a child. Oh, but it's complicated and sacrosanct. Or why Elder Namal would kidnap his own son and put the fate of the planet at risk. Well, she can't speak to the motives of one man. Or why she failed to mention the kidnap plot started on a colony of theirs, Prospect 7. Stunned silence, but hey, let's begin the procession. Yeah, it was around this point that I was like, what was that story I had to read in college about a really perfect place that had a dark secret that I think involved a kid? Uh, particularly, I think this is the scene where it can start to dawn on all of us that something is up, in part because they're having the kind of wave at the crowd thing as though the ascension, the swearing in, the transfer of power, you know, insert your, your metaphor as you want, there, to our eyes, it's as though it has just taken place or is about to take place. And yes, they said, you know, now we're going to go do the ascension. And it's like, but wait, you're not doing it there. And there's kind of this, you know, this is where there's something that's 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 a little off. Uh, we go back to the brig where number one tells Gamal that Gamal has been a, a naughty boy violating multiple Federation laws, despite this claim to be helping his son. The neural dampener was to make Gamal says, uh, the first servant incapable of doing his job. Gamal increasingly seems crushed by the idea that uh, the first servant has been returned to the planet, that the ascension is happening right now. Gamal says he does deserve to be in the brig. He's violated his own laws and principles, all for the child, all for the son, in order to prevent the unthinkable from happening. What is this thing, we all wonder? Let's go to the sacred child murder chamber, Matt. Uh, yeah. And um, as we are there, uh, Pike can see um, that uh, because he's saved the boy, they're able to all be there. And uh, uh, Alora wants Pike to be a part of seeing this. Uh, the first servant also is eager for Pike to be there when, uh, when he ascends. Um, as there is this increasing sense of tension, we check in with the bridge. Uh, there's uh, an interference pulse that means they can't call down to Pike. Oh, let's send down a landing party, says number one. No, no, says Spock. The same pulse prevents us from going down. There is simply no way for the Enterprise to intervene here. Uh, and we head to the Ascension Chamber, uh, where very clearly Pike is being held in the rear behind the guards as he is increasingly picking up on the bad vibes. Alora asks the first servant in front of this throne uh, if he freely offers the gift of self to the people with joy and gratitude he does does he freely choose his fate as four people carry something in a shroud and he looks oh my god uh, Pike is blocked at this point by guards with spears oh no 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 uh coin guards it's okay it's cool he can look under the shroud it's a child stop it he says um you have to stop this but no no christopher it is okay 
the child who was just horrified at the sight of a drained and burned child, he gets into the chair. It, it, he chooses it freely, and they honor his sacrifice. As he gets in the throne there, restraints come across. Long live the first servant, or first servant, live as long as you can to keep our floating city in the sky. Uh, Pike continues to protest here. He fights um, as the head of the child comes into focus here. The horror etched on his face as these wires project and go in. And then the blank expression mimicking the one that was on the tapped out child battery before. Uh, And then Pike rushes the throne to get hit across the face by one of these uh, spears that a woman is swinging with no damage to uh, Anson Mount's beautiful face. It's all on the inside, Pete. It's the acting is on the inside. Later, he awakes in Alora's chambers, uh, being kept there by guards. Alora tells Pike that she didn't want to hurt Pike. So is Pike a prisoner now? No, no, no. The guards are dismissed. Uh, Pike is allowed to stay. Uh, but damn right he's going. Uh, however, he's told that he cannot save the first servant. Severing the connection would kill him. The big question, of course, is why? To serve Majalis is the boy's destiny. But Alora doesn't know what the machine will do, how it works exactly. It is known that the machine needs the neural connection of a child. And yes, he will suffer. The whole civilization is based on the suffering of a child. Uh, Pete, it's like the short story, The Ones That Walk Away from Omalas, uh, which takes this basic premise, or rather predates this basic premise, the Ursula Le Guin short story. Um, uh, Alora notes that... Is it a more modern allegory? I mean, I think it's all of the above, certainly. And I think that's, you know, we'll, we'll, I think that's the lens through which the, the episode is painting all of us perhaps with the same brush. But Alora notes that in the Federation, surely there are some children who still live in squalor and hunger while others look away. The difference here is they don't look away. Uh, their path is chosen. All know that the sacrifice is being made. All live with it. And Pike promises he will report this to Starfleet. But of course, what will that do? There's no jurisdiction uh, from the Federation here on this unaligned world. And with that, Pike beams out and Alora cries. Well, maybe he'll feel differently if there's some need for their medical technology in the future. In sickbay... Uh, Mbenga and Gamal have a word here. Uh, Mbenga has been told that uh, Gamal has requested transit to Prospect 7, who he used to think were a planet full of traitors, committing to destroying his way of life. But now they tried to help him save his child, and he failed. Maybe he could help save the next one. Um, They wish each other luck here. And hey, that hypothetical patient with the psychokemia, uh, I thought about that. Let's look at this uh, file that I'll kind of walk you through the in-theory treatment. It's not a cure, but it's a first step. 
Matt, take us to Pike's quarters where he's evaluating the terror of this story. Yes, and indeed, he's considering the planet. He's considering the heavy weight. He's considering his lack of success, his failure. uh, And it is on that note that the episode ends. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with Alora. So 10 years ago, looking for some alternate means to not sacrifice children to keep their floating cities in the sky, uh, conveniently meets Pike. And now we have this fateful reunion and... Now she's sacrificing children. I had not stopped to consider that from a writing room pre-production point, uh, the season would be well served with, you know, another Pike episode that maybe we shouldn't stop at the first one, just in terms of getting to know more about him or to to put the spotlight on him a bit more and that sort of thing. Um, It was welcome, uh, very welcome here, particularly since like, we very much know him, but also, you know, do we, we don't know his past and things of that sort. So I think from that regard, the Alora um, use was well done. I was surprised at how close they ended up cutting the real, the real uh, center of this story uh, to the short story, the ones who walk away from Omalas. The slight difference being, as you can tell by the title of that short story, they're focusing on the people who walk away from paradise, which, uh, you know, is less of a focus here. I mean, I guess Pike is walking away, not being able to do anything about it. So is maybe Pike and the enterprise and all of us kind of a threat too? I mean, they flip it around the, the aliens who are trying to abduct the child were really good all along. Yeah, I certainly would agree that the real heroes here are the the folks trying to stop it and trying to have effective impact to it. Um, there is that interesting detail as well. You know, they're trying to trying to stop the you know peaceful transfer of power, which uh, reminds me of recent events. So I think if nothing else, it's a reminder that Star Trek is not doing you know a one for one swap out of this event or that event but it's just bringing a bunch of complex issues uh in the mix here let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories pete you seemed to propose that there's the possibility of returning to this strange new world uh, in order to come up with the uh, fix for Rukia, the daughter of Dr. Mbenga. My take was more that we're not going to go back. However, Gamal has given the first step, and maybe next week or the following week we can get, you know, step two. And at the end of the season, surely we get the solution step three, right? Well, not just Rukia, Matt. What is the, the tech that the first servant had? presumably to prolong his suffering and, and keep, you know, paradise floating. 
these quantum bio implants. If only there was another character who has so much time left that there's some kind of time travel medicine that could reverse his face from melting. I would agree that it, it, it's kind of deliciously floated here for we in the know, for we who know how Pike's story ends, at least thus far, in terms of the menagerie and him finally making his way back to Talos uh, 4, where he's, uh, you know, uh, rejuvenated, if only through illusion, and presumably spends the rest of his life with Vina, blah, blah, blah. It's floated here. Maybe we will change that ending, or maybe once in Talos 4, uh, a day, a week, a month, a year later, there will be more given to his story, and it'll, it'll all be classified, which is why no one ever talked about it but ever again. But it's not real, Matt. This illusion that saved me. If only I could be a real boy again. Um, It does call into question the the sincerity with which the menagerie ends kind of being he can live in his paradise of illusion with vena who also is in a paradise of illusion yes it is a cage of sorts but they can't leave and it's the best they can do that kind of thing which to be fair i mean let, let, let's all not forget that that was a story solution created out of editing as they were like hey there's this footage from the pilot that nobody saw and we're behind like a week in filming what can we do to make to mix this all together um so i'm certainly not proposing that like the menagerie is 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 this great you know as great as it is as a two-parter it's also not you know it's not the most elegantly written star trek story ever that was just meant to. whoa whoa matt you're making the veins on my bulbous head vibrate look it's a great story but i guess what i'm saying <laughs> I'm, I'm is i'm kidding it's you know it's not it's not it's not the new testament it. of the bible where we can't make we, we dare not make any changes to it because it's the central thing silence interlopa um i also thought it was interesting too in terms of trying to chart out the season um just to return to mbenga i mean yes we kind of had anticipated that but to my mind aside from uhura's focus of the week uh which seems to be more of story conceit than you know than currently really about kind of showing her change and grow um Mbenga is the only one where we really have a sense of a major story arc occurring yeah we got some spock last week but i think with, with Mbenga is where our hearts go does nurse chapel know about rukia i think the evidence right now is no if there is casual reference made next week to, you know, but doctor, your secret. Um, and I think it could easily be turned into a yes with that. Um, one does get the impression, I mean, Chapel is newer on the ship, but one does get the impression that the two of them obviously work in close physical proximity, but, you know, are on the same page in terms of philosophy and, uh, and temperament and that sort of thing. So, I'll say no, but the show could turn it to a yes with one sentence of dialogue. So Sam Kirk, brief appearance here in the lounge. Uh, conflict averse. So, of course, his brother is completely conflict centric. 
Yes. Uh, yes, there is that. Um, I like that we get the little return of him here. I must confess, I can't remember whether it was um, Discovery, although I think it was the beginning of Strange New Worlds filming this season where some of the larger crowd scenes for many episodes were being held off until later in the shoot, you know, less of a COVID concern and all of that. So it did cross my mind. On the one hand, it's like, hey, come on in for the day to be in one scene that might take you an hour to shoot. Like, thanks for coming in and, you know, that kind of thing. This also, for all we know, a bunch of these particularly dining hall scenes might have been like, and now we're going to do the dining hall scene from episode one. Action. Great. Next extras, come on in. The dining hall scene from episode two. We're going to do, you know, like that kind of thing. So um, it's just worth keeping in mind in this strange and crazy world of TV and film production that uh, intentionally this scene might have been shot weeks and weeks or months and months different from the rest of the episode. Pete, what other theories do you have about this challenging episode? The security lessons a la uh, La'on here, Matt, we got one through three, we got six and seven, but we didn't get four and five. Oh. So what are they? Um... I think they are great opportunities for a novel or a piece of marketing uh, or maybe something like, I know, what was it that uh, on Instagram Discovery was doing like log entries, which were incredibly vague, but still kind of actually in line of kind of having uh, an extension of the universe type thing that I was talking about on the, was it the Kenobi pod? No, it was on the Ms. Marvel podcast a couple days ago. So maybe that's where it is where we can say, reviewing today all the important lessons we get to include lessons four and five here on you know on some sort of uh graphic or you know uh, a piece for social media that kind of thing well seven was to include mugatan breathing stones matt we have the mugatus so what the hell are breathing stones um they're maybe they're stones that help the mugatu breathe in some sort of capacity kind of like like eucalyptus for koalas uh it's stones that the mugatu maybe uh maybe keep in their stomachs to help aid with digestion and and doesn't eucalyptus also make koalas high maybe that's part of it too maybe that's why maybe you can get a very mellow mugatu who's been having a lot of the breathing stones well thanks to lower decks we've seen mugatus breed so uh yeah hopefully the breathing stones are not as graphic any other theories there um what exactly was elder gamal's plan to get his son away from this because near as i can tell matt it greatly fell on circumstance oh i'm gonna get him onto a ship that's gonna rescue us um, you know, having been quote unquote kidnapped earlier. Uh, and then, um, I'm going to fake his death, uh, after conveniently getting all puffy and leaving sick bay. Well, I think had, had the first servant successfully gotten on the attacking ship that of course ended up crashing, there was that neural dampener, which um, right. 
Right. It doesn't but... make it much better to say, oh, I was just going to, I mean, neural is the brain, dampener is less. So, and then he was looking for a permanent fix. So he was going to permanently brain damage this boy to prevent Right, him... but now we're on the Enterprise and my son is still in danger, okay? I'm going to fake that he's on this ship secretly transport him to another place on the enterprise okay like and his whole thing was i've i've got to find a moment where i've suddenly got to transport off the ship to fake his transport um well i think the moment was in was in sync with the second cruiser attacking so i guess everybody who was on that second cruiser uh if indeed it was people and not automated but the you know the, the sacrifice of the second cruiser was was um to be taken for granted and maybe gamal's plan was for the first servant to remain in the box unfound long enough for the ascension to not take place and it you know and there be this road that you can't go back on i.e I guess all the cities in the sky falling into the lava and the acid and all of that. Um, which, I mean, look, part of what this episode and the the short story from which it is heavily based, but in no way credited. Um, although Ursula Le Guin was really pleased when Discovery named a ship after her. And oh, by the way, Alex Kurtzman really likes this story. And uh, it was also the basis for discovery season three with sue call um it, it's meant to be the same kind of thing so it's it's weird that this story has now shown up twice one in a season one in an episode but i digress i guess again part of what the story is having us reflect on is the the moral price paid um and i guess here gamal was willing to sacrifice the whole society to stop the lie behind it um, which from a numbers Big game, why uh, peaceful transition of power? Um, <laughs> Gamal was definitely not looking for a peaceful transition of power. So again, that's kind of where I appreciate that Star Trek has given us a challenging thing here because I don't want the beautiful people to fall out of the sky into the lava, but I don't want this done to a kid. And I do want the internal functioning rules of a, country slash civilization to be respected and i do want the peaceful transition of power and the willful acceptance of the will of the people and all of that but i don't want people storming the first servant to steal him and brain damage him like every route is not a happy star trek ending i'm okay with that in part b for two reasons a we kind of get to say well, it's not our federation that has done this. The human experiment still continues. We are still trying to perfect things in the 23rd century where, yes, there is want, and but we're, we're doing better, and we're not doing better without compromising uh, certain values. And then second, I would say, Classic Trek has given us some downer endings, including Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, where similarly, hey, it's not a federation world of the people who have half white faces and half black faces, uh, if they want to fight to their destruction, so be it. We don't have a solution for them unless it is to choose the path of peace. So how did life develop on Majalis with rivers of lava and lakes of acid that they've come up with this 
solution? I'm going to assume one of two things. Either there was sudden catastrophic change to the planet, uh, a change in climate perhaps, uh, or perhaps the in, in the, the ancient times, uh, the Magellans were not from this place and they settled here in the perfect cities in the sky, that sort of thing. I think it's to the benefit of the story that the story itself says, I don't really know, lost to time, don't know how it all works. The best of the best don't really understand it. We're trapped in this system too. I'll say trapped in quotes because anytime they want to build a fleet of ships and leave the planet and go actually do the hard work of creating a civilization that doesn't involve this horrific trade-off, they could do that too. And again, that's where they're all being painted with the same brush. And I think by implication, when any one of us uh, turn a blind eye to such injustice, you know, so, so too are we painted by that brush from Star Trek. I think it's really difficult to not view the morality play of this episode as not being a gun control allegory. I think certainly in in light of recent events, the the usefulness of taking this story and applying it to recent events, uh, the, the usefulness is is very present. Um, I don't know how much that was done as an intention versus just the the philosophical nature of the the core short story. I think it's to the complement of the core short story and this story that, you know, the, the best in the best of art, we can see ourselves. And if the intention was to just talk about the sacrifices made in the society, uh, and it applies to current debates, that just, that speaks to the power of the, the story at its center. And it's interesting too the lens through which we view it as Pike's, had Spock been there, would he not have quoted the needs of the many? Well, I would a hundred percent agree, and I think that's part of the part of the power of this story. And when I say this story, I'm using that to capture both the episode and uh, Le Guin's short story. The power of it is you can't deny that the uh, the moral metrics, the math of it, it checks out. Boy, sure stinks for the first servant, but everybody else is good to go, and they know what the deal is. And those who don't want to live with the deal go uh, to Prospect 7 and live a different life, but that's of their own choice as well. Um, so from the numbers game, it checks out. It's just on the emotional, moral end, that's where it does not check out. When do they need to replace the first servant? Uh, I will just put a number on it and say maybe about every 10 years. Um, and I don't mean to say 10 years because of uh, the 10 the year Pike thing, just kind of as a round number. Now, if you want to tell me that that wasted form had been there for longer than that and just, just didn't grow, you know, that, that almost makes it even more heartbreaking. But I think it could truly be just about any number. Um, and honestly, the fact that it's longer versus shorter makes it even more horrifying. On that rather somber note, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. 
we move to our Twitter poll uh, in which the option was given uh, who you'd want to watch this episode with. Uh, the bottom vote, nominally the bottom vote, was a random red shirt that got 17.4%. A whale from Ops got 13%. I guess we'll see, Pete, if there are whales on this enterprise. Maybe you watch it with an old flame that got 30.4%. Uh, perhaps you can watch it with a magic child that got 39.1%. Some Twitter replies here. JT Adkins, JTA is me. Well written and executed, but golly, really dark. Given that I'm enjoying this totally not arc-driven show, though I myself love arc-driven, I'm hoping we get some arc-like redemption for this story soon. James is sagacious, big killing on Twitter. Uh, a world that sacrifices its own children. Strange indeed, but is it new? Uh, that a... a chillingly compact statement there from james well observed uh unfortunately well observed a compliment to him and much like the episode ends combination for us all on a certain level andre yeager dr pole in 1983 says sad story pike really felt betrayed when he hooked up with her i got a captain kirk vibe though he hooked up with someone on every planet. I have a feeling we will be seeing the people of Prospect 7 before the season ends. Another great episode. Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. Jackie with an I, Wolf with an E. This episode made me think of the best of TS, TOS eliciting uh, an emotional response with plenty of drama, but neatly wrapping up everything by the end. Uh, ship Harpoons. I seem to remember seeing those on Enterprise, but I'm sure... Tess LC139 will jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and the aforementioned Spider Ham Lincoln says, doesn't ring a bell with me. Sorry, I couldn't live up to your expectations. Um, Pete, would you agree that there were ship harpoons in Enterprise? Because yes. I feel like I have a. Yeah, there were. Okay. Uh, they actually used them, they had uh, cables. There you go. Uh, Mike Carrier, Mike in Cleve 66 says, very heavy episode. And I'm not mad at them for it. Rather, you're on the right or on the left politically. Uh, maybe it's supposed to be whether. Whether you're on the right or the left politically, we often forget uh, someone somewhere will eventually pay a heavy price for our policies. This episode clearly throws that back in our faces. Hashtag, hashtag Star Trek demands that we think, darn it. Uh, we hear from Snow Goggles at Snow Goggles. Unexpected darkness from Trek. Put the show on for some levity after a rough week and got a gut punch. Good episode. Would never rewatch. Spider-Ham Lincoln is back saying, well-written, uh, as well-written well as this ep was, I found it deeply troubling, troubling with a depressing twist, and it's only joy being hope given to Dr. Mbenga. I would have preferred something akin to Eddie Murphy's The Golden Child, as opposed to a tale of child sacrifice in an advanced society. Uh, Lift Us will not be on my rewatch list, and for the second episode in a row, Hammer was nowhere to be found while everyone else got screen time. I thought he was going to be a series regular. I know that not every cast member is featured in every Star Trek show, Discovery being a prime example. But I really like this Enar guy, and I want to get to know him better. I'll stay tuned, but this disappointment kind of sucks. Uh, Pete, I will reply to that by saying, and this is just conjecture, Pete, there's a film series I know that you're not uh, familiar with, or rather you've chosen to not be familiar with. Uh, it's called The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I'm reminded how John Reese davies Somehow he got cast and all the way to New Zealand before they found out that he was allergic to either latex or latex glue, like the glue used for latex. So I don't quite know how that mistake gets made, but he literally could work one day, then would need to be off too. So I'm just going to throw this out here, that maybe 
uh, maybe um, Bruce Horak, you know, is is being given some downtime from the, the heavy makeup. Uh, I know he's obviously, uh, as the story has been out there, he obviously has uh, some sight issues as well. So maybe it's just some downtime in regards to that. Uh, but overall, I certainly would agree Hammer is a great character. And the more we get of him, uh, the better. It is a pandemic that they've shot this in. So I don't know if possibly there's an underlying medical condition. They needed to be a little bit more careful with Mr. Horak as well. So that certainly could be the case. I suppose time will tell if any of those uh, reasons are accurate. Uh, let's hear from AMC and Coltonum on Twitter. Vintage episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm enjoying the development of Uhura. Classic Captain Romance storyline with serious ethical questions being worked uh, through beautifully. The writers are doing a fab job. Looking forward to listening to the podcast, Fantastic Geek. Well, there you are. Your comment on it. Last, Pete, but certainly not least is Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88, a.k.a. Uh, Stacy, uh, who says, I picked Old Flame in the vote because, seriously, who wouldn't want to find someone who looks at you the way Pike looks at Alora? Uh, Trek Girl included the gif of Rue McClanahan uh, spritzing herself, what with the heat and all that, and I think uh, so say we all. With that, Pete, let's head to hear from Admiral Fred of the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 6. I really hope I get my title as Admiral back, because in the Kenobi show, Matt gave me the title of Grand Inquisitor. I don't know if I'm so happy with that one. Great to see Lindy Booth as Alora here. I know her from 42 episodes of The Librarians, where she was a main character. And I have a love for Canadian series and actors anyhow. You don't see her very often, so that was nice to see her back here. Nice story of the week. Real old-fashioned Star Trek, like TOS, going to a world, encountering some problems, encountering some fancy ladies, like Kirk always did. Also the theme of a bit xenophobic society and a society with some special rules which don't concur with the human way or the federation way of thinking, creating a dilemma, in this case for Pike. The side story with Laan and Uhura was not that interesting but sets the characters further. Possibly some Chekhov's guns here for Captain Pike to perhaps recover after his injuries in 10 years and also for the doctor's daughter. But also here the nicely is the dilemma because this culture has some aspects they don't agree on that much. I really wonder if it comes back, but probably it does, otherwise it wouldn't have been put here so obviously. I gave the episode an 8 on IMDb. Okay, that's all. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. How can we keep the conversation going, Matt? Head over to Twitter, where you can find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,560 followers, can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, looking ahead for just the Star Trek discussion, we'll be back next Star Trek Sunday for Strange New Worlds episode 107. Meanwhile, on the pop culture podcast feed, barring any earth shattering news, maybe after this crazy last week, the fates will give us a wee break during the week. And we'll be back on Friday for Ms. Marvel Friday, uh, Star Wars on Star Wars Saturday, and of course, Star Trek on Star Trek Sunday. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Rigelian Tiger pounces with no warning.